How's everybody doing? Good, good to be here with you in the midst of the excitement today. And you'll notice I'm not Pastor Todd, which is printed in your bulletins. You know, we had some conversations and decided it would be best for him to stay home today. I don't know if that was the right decision or not, but I, I promise you we're going to get Pat, Pastor Todd in here one of these days um, to come and preach and share for us. But today, you're, uh, you got to deal with me, so here I am. <laughs> uh, and thanks, guys. That's encouraging. I want to say hello if you're watching online, too. Um, it's good to be here to look at God's word this morning with you, and we're just going to continue in our sermon series here. We've been going through the Gospel of John, and we are at the end of the eighth chapter, so if you want to find that, I'm really going to just work through sections of the scripture today. It worked out nicely that, that I could just go through and look at some of the verses in order. Um, so we can put some of the verses on, on the screen, maybe put the first uh, verse or however first section of verses up there and I'm just going to work through them as we go. So as we've been in the Gospel of John, uh, we've been in a section now where there's been a lot of conflict between Jesus and Jewish leaders and they've been really going back and forth with one another and now we're going to get to the culmination of this conflict that's happening between uh, Jesus, who's trying to explain who he is, and these Jewish leaders who seem to be getting further and further and further away from an understanding of who Jesus is. And this first verse really gets to the point, says this, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? So, you know, we can see anybody who's been traveling uh, understands a little bit about uh, Jesus would see that this is really an unfair question, right? This is not a question that's asked with any kind of sincerity or really any desire to really get to know who Jesus is. This is a way of making an accusation through a question and intense accusations, right? This is essentially slander. So the people who are listening to this question would have heard this labeling of Jesus, would have heard this really uh, aggressive, unkind uh, sort of uh, thing that's happening here from these Jewish leaders to Jesus. And I want to use that, you know, as the analogy as we stand here. Uh, I think the appropriate analogy this morning is of a storm, right? As Peter so beautifully articulated. One of the things that's tricky about storms, right, is we don't know what they're going to be like, right? Especially when we stand on the eve of a storm, like we've been in the last couple of days. It's so hard to know exactly what to do. What's the right decision? How do we prepare? How much should we prepare? You know, we don't want to be that person that's like got like, you know, uh, just an entire closet full of supplies and then have a little bit of a drizzle, right? But we also don't want the people that have nothing and uh, all of a sudden we're down uh, with power for a few days, right? And so how do we know? What's the right way to prepare for a storm in 
when we are on the eve of storms, it's easy for us to sort of project on into this unknown all the scary things, all of the things that really challenge us. When we were doing VBS uh, this summer, I got to ask our children and the children that came to VBS what was something they were afraid of. And I can't tell you how many of them talked about how they had really scary dreams. That one of the things that kids experience, like one of the things they really, um, they really share as an experience universally is this sense that the unknown is really frightening and then the unknown can take on these, these creative images of scary things, big scary things that are out there. There's so many children's books that have this theme that help people, help children navigate the scary projections that they come up with in their mind. And we would say, well, are those real and founded or are they unreal and made up? Well, the answer is kind of yes, isn't it? that they feel very real things about what's big and scary about the world, but they don't know how to name and articulate the reality of what those things are that are big and scary. And so there's a projection. There's kind of a creative, scary thing that they've made up in their mind about what may happen or what may be out there. And so these books that, like Where the Wild Things Are, that are designed to kind of show a child taming these uh, scary projections as a way to help them to navigate through their fears, right? To not be afraid, to think of them differently. And I wonder for you, you know, as we stand on the eve of a storm last night, um, as you're thinking about what may happen, what were the things that were going on inside of you? As we went through uh, the pandemic together, one of the analogies that we, we really explored was how like, uh, like, like the toothpaste and a toothpaste tube that what pressure can do is it just squeezes the tube and shows what's on the inside, right? So when we get into moments, real or projected, that are high pressure moments, there's something inside of us that gets revealed. There's something inside of all of us that can get revealed. And Jesus is in one of these moments right now. Jesus is in a moment where it's a high pressure moment and he's being accused of terrible things. And so what I wanna do is just look at what's inside Jesus in a moment of great pressure in the midst of the storm. Who is Jesus? What is he like? What can we learn about Jesus in a high pressure moment? So uh, let me continue reading. Verse 49 says this. This is Jesus' response to those accusations. I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. So I think that what we can see in this uh, section about what's being revealed about Jesus is his surrender. What Jesus is pointing to is that his authority, the things he's saying that are controversial here are founded in his connection to his father, his surrender to his father, to his heavenly father. See, he's not here uh, for his own honor. 
right? He's not there to grandstand, to make it all about him. He's really there because of the glory of God. And so he's telling them that he's not there for his glory. He's not seeking it for himself, but there is one who seeks it. And he is the judge, right? And so even Jesus is talking about how God is the one who is the rightful judge, enthroned in heaven, the one who is worthy of the title of judge. So just to think about this for a second, let's imagine that we all have a magic wand, okay? Imagine I give you a magic wand and you can take that magic wand, you can go around and you can fix whatever problems you want to fix. You can stop, you know, all of the things that you see wrong in the world. Uh, You can fix and try and make right everything in in your life. Okay, that, that kind of feels good, right? To just think somebody's handed me a magic wand and I get to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to go around fixing things. Now imagine... If you're married, your spouse, or somebody really close to you, and you hand them the magic wand, okay? And then they get to go around fixing all the things that they want to fix. Well, maybe after they go around fixing the world, when they get to you, you're a little less inclined for them to have that magic wand, right? (laughs) For them to be able to just go around fixing whatever they want to fix and changing the world in whatever they want to change the world. And this is really what's being discussed here about what it means to be a real true true judge. Like, who's the one who gets to judge you and me and the Pharisees and Jesus and every living thing, every person on earth? Who would you want to be that kind of judge? Who's the one worthy of such a seat and, and... even though there's a part of us that wants to be enthroned, right? That wants to be the one who gets to make all the decisions about what's right and wrong in the world, that when we think about the grand scheme of things and the responsibility of making the big choices about life, I think we can all in humility admit that maybe we're not that great of a judge. Maybe that we can only see from our vantage point And so we need to learn, like Jesus does here, to not seek glory for ourselves. And actually, as we are able to, over time, right, get off of our own throne and get into a rightful place of surrender, there is a relief, a great relief that comes with that. That in reality, I don't have to be the judge. I don't always know every right decision or why people do the things that they do. And so I can allow myself to submit to the greater judge. This is what Jesus is teaching us in his submission. Then he says that who's ever able to do this, he says, you will never see death. That if you're able to surrender and say, I'm not the judge, 
But I submit to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to the Prince of peace, to the mighty counselor, then I am participating in all of eternity. I get to be in this new heavenly reality forever. And so in that case, would you be willing to lay down your wand? Because the second thing we see here as Jesus is um, experiencing this pressure is an attunement. He's showing us what John really wants us to understand, that there is a unity between God who's in heaven and Jesus who is on earth. And this attunement is really so important in times of great pressure. This connection is so important in times when things are trying to distract us or derail us, when the fears are present and real, that staying attuned is ever more vital. And Jesus is such a great example. He's not avoiding the storm. He's showing us in the midst of the storm that you can stay attuned. And so let me read to you from Psalm 84. What the psalmist says about where God is and what God can do no matter what's happening. It says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. On a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayers, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the, in the tents of the wicked. See, glory is the state in which God dwells. It's not just an attribute of God. It's where God is. And it is the very essence of who God is in his being. And it's what others, what the scriptures attest to when they perceive God, when Isaiah is able to perceive God, he perceives God as glorious, enthroned. And so it is our job, like the psalmist does, to take on a new perspective when we think about where God is and what he's about and what he is doing even now, enthroned in heaven, and how that changes how we think about the storms of our life.
This is who God is. And so how do we attune our hearts to him? In the midst of whatever you're going through, how are you going to attune your heart? Like a great illustrations would be as the band or the choir sing together or play together, that, that when they're really most effective is when they know what the other is about to do. And they're so in tune with one another that they're able to make beauty out of this attunement. They're so connected. They're so on the same page. Right? Or if we watch sports, it's like they know where the next pass is going to go before uh, they even are there yet. Right? They, that there's a sense by which in our greatest relationships that we learn each other so well that we learn how to collaborate without even really having to articulate it, but just knowing each other and being so in tune with one another and attentive to one another. Imagine Jesus having that relationship with God the Father. That Jesus is that in tune with the glory of God. As God is in his rightful place, Jesus knows that. Even though he's in this contentious conflict where he's being accused of terrible things, he is still so aware that his Father is in heaven, in charge, in power, in glory, mighty, with a plan. And so it helps him to navigate the present challenge with a new perspective, right? And so listen to this challenge that they bring. Verse 52 says, At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died so that the prophets, so, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. See, now we see even more so this attunement as it's manifest in Christ, Jesus' glorification. That when you're in tune and in surrender, to God and in tune with God, then God shares his glory. God has shared his glory with Jesus. You see there in verse 54 says, God is the one who glorifies me. And so we stand together uh, to pay attention to Jesus, this one who was God, who became human to teach us what it means to be truly human and to observe within that that there's a way by which we also get to participate in this glory, the glory of God given to Jesus and somehow given to us. In Hebrews 1.3, it 
it really captures all of these things together. The writer of Hebrews says, he is the radiance, speaking of Jesus, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification of, for sins, he sat down at the right hand of, of the majesty on high. And so Jesus came. He was the exact imprint of God in his very nature. And by his word, he upholds the whole universe. And then after he came to forgive our sins, then he again went and took his rightful place next to God, enthroned with him. And so these words make more sense. These are Jesus' final response to this group. He says, you are not yet 50 years old, they said. Excuse me, this is what they said, then he'll respond. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham, right? Scoring more points. And then, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So imagine the scene one final time. All of this contentious debate, insults being hurled at Jesus, all of this pressure coming down on him to the point where he is pushed to the point where he reveals the very fabric of the nature of all of reality. And the very last thing, what's inside Jesus, is cosmic power is divine power from the very beginning unto this moment. And so he shows them. You see, there's so many things about history, right, that, that are messy, the history in us that's messy, and the history in the world that is messy. But before Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. And so there is a way in which all of that history is under something greater. The thing that John in his thesis statement at the very beginning shows us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And so no matter what it is, no matter what we're facing this morning, may we place it before this beautiful, glorious, powerful reality that the great I am is with us. And so we can surrender. We can attune our hearts. We can be with him somehow in his glory. And we can wonder at his awesome mighty cosmic power even today would you pray with me lord jesus um, you were the word at the beginning and you are the word now 
Nothing makes sense, Lord Jesus, outside of you. So help us to take our cares, our fears, Lord, all of the things that are happening right now outside in the world, all the chaos of the storms, all the people that are hurting, and may we bring it before you, Lord Jesus. We just place it before you in surrender, acknowledging that we are not the judge, that you know what we do not, and you are worthy of our trust, you are worthy of our hopes, of our cares, of our anxieties, of our failures. And we thank you that we can entrust you with it all. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are high and lifted up now, enthroned with God. We give you all glory, honor, and power, all that we might summon as we get low and say, we don't want to be enthroned. We want you to be the one are deserving. We thank you for your mercy and your love and your compassion this morning. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.